0: Welcome to episode 107 of Paper Talk, a series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the fields of hand papermaking and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert's Studio, a hand papermaking studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also host the annual Red Cliff Paper Retreat and papermaking masterclasses here in the studio. And I run a membership program called The Paper Year and teach online classes about paper light and books too. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. Today I'm talking with Madonna Yoder, who started folding origami tessellations after taking Eric Domain's Geometric Folding Algorithms class at MIT, and she has designed over 300 new tessellations since 2018. Yoder helps aspiring tessellation folders to deeply understand tessellations, so that they can fold from crease patterns, reverse engineer from photos, and even start designing their own tessellations through online videos and courses with her business, Gathering Folds. And unlike most origami instructors, Yoder doesn't focus on individual designs and tutorials, but instead teaches broader structures, theory, and skills so that you can start folding new designs with confidence and get the most out of any tessellation workshop you attend. Enjoy our conversation. Well, Madonna Yoder, welcome to Paper Talk.
1: Thank you, Helen.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to hear about your journey with paper. And so um, just tell me briefly a little bit about childhood and what kinds of things you did that might have led to your current fascination with tessellations?
1: Sure. So when I was really little, like this is even before I can remember, but my mom tells me that when I was about five years old, we were doing some kind of paper craft together and we needed perfect squares cut out. And apparently my (sighs) mom wasn't cutting the squares square enough. (laughs) And I looked over her at her, and I said, well, Mom, that's not square enough. I'll do it. Coming from a five-year-old. Wow. And so from a very young age, I've been into very detail-focused crafts, Mm -hmm. um, friendship bracelets, latch hook rugs, um, cross stitch, uh, the list goes on. Um, And I started folding origami when I was in, fourth or fifth grade uh, someone showed me how to make the crane that flaps its wings Mm. and so I promptly started uh, disassembling the church bulletins into squares and I would use that time um, during the church service to make uh, maybe a dozen little things that I would give to visitors as they were leaving
2: Ah.
0: That's so, so
1: cool.
0: And so what was your much... m- method of cutting the perfect square? Did you just do it freehand and make it perfect in your terms?
1: Um, more or less. Yeah. So okay. I would have some division of the paper that was parallel to the edge. Mm-hmm. And then I would fold a diagonal mm-hmm. and then use that diagonal to create the square off of the either the cut edge uh-huh. or the folded edge. And then I would crease it really hard with my fingernails and tear. Right. Hold. You know, doing that during ch- a church service is a little bit tricky because the tearing makes noise, and you've got to time it so you're not doing it during prayer or a pause in the sermon.
0: Right. And your um, your parents were okay with that. Oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I love that because uh, I grew up going to church all the time too, and I just uh,
1: I wish I had origami. That would have been a nice. <laughs> thing. Yeah, and so so I was able to make my own toys, entertain myself. Um, I'm sure the, you were listening too. Yeah, the only rule was I had to put stuff away and stand up when everyone else stood up. Ah, uh, okay, right, right, yeah. mm, cool.
0: Okay, so then uh, how did where did that origami take you from that crane did you just keep doing that or did you Mm -hmm. stop for a while or
1: so I kept folding paper pretty continuously um with the exception of one year right after high school and have been doing it ever since um up through the end of high school I was folding mostly figurative pieces so things that are in the image of something else so a horse a crane a parrot um and a lot of the ones that I was folding were exact duplicates over and over and over again, as kids do,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to the point where when I was cleaning out my room at the end of high school, I had an entire jumbo trash bag full of just duplicates of things. And I only wow. kept the best of each.
0: And were these, were any of these your own design? or were no. you, yeah you were copying now at that point yeah. i was really mm-hmm.
1: unaware that origami was an evolving art mm-hmm. that there's a lot of modern creators like something in the mid hundreds to thousands of origami creators are actively creating today yeah and um and so what tipped me off to that more was Uh, winning a book on modular origami in my final year of high school um, from a math contest, Uh and then going to MIT. Right. So MIT has a pretty active origami community. They have weekly meetings, which I skipped to go play volleyball, um, and annual conventions, uh, which was where I first really started interacting with other paper folders, Okay. So
0: what were you studying? Geology. Geology. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you still get some of the symmetry and the solid state chemistry and the crystallography, Mm -hmm. uh, and you get a lot of 3D visualization, Mm -hmm. which I was kind of getting from both sides because I was in my, uh, I'll call it my modular period uh, Mm -hmm. during undergrad, where I was folding a bunch of simple units And folding many of them, some of the pieces took over, uh, some of the whole projects took over a thousand pieces. Wow. And, And so I would have like one big project per year or semester, and then many smaller projects to give out as gifts in between. And so this like project per semester, was that related to your studies? Not at all. It was
0: just, you were just doing that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Okay. <laughs> to prove that I could. Uh, yeah. A lot of it was uh, fractal structures or semi-fractal because you can't really go to the micro scale with finite objects. Um, and just seeing, okay, how far can I take this? And a lot of those big projects I actually did with printer paper, just recycled from class notes. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a, a guest lecture in one of my classes that printed out one slide per page um so I would end up with 30 sheets of paper that Uh turned into 12 squares each Uh uh-huh and also I was using up the um quickly outdated resumes from career fairs ah okay yeah and
0: had you used origami paper intermittently
1: Yeah. 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 I knew that um, Kami, the most common kind of origami paper existed, Mm -hmm. but I was really unaware of the breadth of origami papers that were available. Right. Right.
0: Okay. And so you mentioned this origami group at MIT. So what happened? How did you
1: get involved with that? So they had, and I forget exactly how I figured out that they existed but there's a lot of like group fairs um for freshmen to find out about things Mm -hmm. and also the convention was held in the student center which was across the uh, common space from my dorm and so i could look over and see oh hey they're doing stuff over there and i was in the student center pretty often because we had marching band practice in there it's a very small band Mm -hmm. um And we basically were aware of things. And sometimes there would be like a small exhibition in one of the lobbies of the uh, student center. So I ended up going to my first origami convention, freshman fall, and went back again the next two years. Um, I didn't make it my senior year because they didn't schedule it in time for me to avoid a conflict of interest. But that's where I started seeing, oh, hey, origami people are fun people. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of different techniques. And uh, so I think it was my junior year at the convention is where I folded my first tessellation.
0: Okay. And you have to explain what a tessellation is, but I want to ask you one question first, (laughs) Uh, because I was in the marching band in high school. What instrument did you play? Alto sax. Alto sax. Okay.
1: I played the baritone. All right. Cool. So um, tessellations are repeating geometric patterns. And in origami, we fold them from a single sheet of paper. So unlike modulars where you have multiple pieces coming together to make usually a symmetric ball, in tessellations, you have a flat sheet. And so whenever you do a fold, you also need a counterfold in the other direction, so you get this pleated structure, and then those pleats interact uh, to form the geometric pattern. Right. Okay.
0: Okay. So you folded your first tessellation,
1: and yeah. was a light and- bulb went off. No, Not actually, yet. at okay. that point, it didn't go off yet. Okay. I was still super obsessed with the modulars. And I was getting to the point with the modulars where I was able to design different structures, different ways of putting them together. Mm-hmm. So I would use a fairly well-known unit, but then I would assemble it in different ways. So using 120 pieces instead of 30 or 90 or Mm. uh, making a column instead of a ball. Right. And right at that moment where I started making these new structures, I found out about Eric DeMaine's Geometric Folding Algorithms class. Okay, and
0: explain a little bit about who Eric DeMaine is.
1: Yeah, so Eric DeMaine is the, well, he was, I believe, the youngest tenured faculty at MIT. And he and his father, Marty, um, basically have a um, a collaborative working relationship that started when Eric was very young. So Marty homeschooled Eric and um, Eric basically likes to explore all realms of math. And his focus with research is really on the algorithms of computer science. And he combines this with fonts and games and um, glass blowing, and they have pieces in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art, and they just are a real dynamic powerhouse of ideas. Yeah. And uh, so they teach this geometric folding algorithms class Uh, every four years or so. They want to do it more often, but it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I got lucky to be able to take it my senior spring, even though I didn't have any of the computer science prerequisites. Wow. And was
0: that because you had met them and, or you threw your origami somehow?
1: Yeah, so the I was on the Origami Club mailing list, and uh-huh. they sent out the announcement that they were running the course on there, and I quickly went over and registered for it to save my spot. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, that class was a ton of fun. It was a graduate level class, and we met once a week. We had pre-recorded lectures to watch in advance, and then. We would have a recap of the lectures and then an open problem-solving session Mm -hmm. for the remaining like two hours of the class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize that, oh wait, maybe I want to do origami research instead of geology, when I found myself willing to spend long, long hours on the problems I was trying to solve in the geometric folding algorithms class instead of writing my senior thesis. Ah, all right.
0: And was this class uh, part practical, part mm-hmm. like analog, and?
1: <laughs> I, yes. I guess the terms wrong, but... So I didn't have to um, get fully up to speed with uh, multiple classes of prerequisite algorithms. Okay. Uh, in each uh, problem set, which is what we call our homework at MIT, uh, we had options between groups of questions. So one group of questions would be algorithms-based and the other would be, for example, here's a crease pattern, fold it and see what you get. And it was a cute cat. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And so there would be these practical, physical problem-solving questions Mm -hmm. and the abstract, okay, how do we relate this problem that we're looking at in origami to an abstract category of algorithm problem. How can we prove that this is very difficult for a computer? right cool
0: that let's like you know what I studied art and math and I was really fine until it just got too theoretical and I just and plus then I spent my junior year in Germany and was mm-hmm. taking math classes in German and math is numbers. But that was just, that's yeah. when I decided, uh, uh-uh, I'm just going to stick with art.
1: <laughs> I don't need the math to. But yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Everyone sees these tessellations and says, oh, that must be a ton of math, mm-hmm. um, but it really isn't that terribly much. So you've got your symmetry groups, Mm -hmm. and uh, there's 17 uh, wallpaper uh, symmetry groups, so that's symmetries that cover a flat surface. But I break it down to six different groups that are really applicable for tessellations, and some of those groups include multiple ones uh, of the canonical 17.
0: Oh, so this is fascinating. So you mean like just like all hexagons next to each other would be one, and then whatever gone with triangles in between, and uh, there's only 17.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's 17 ways to apply symmetry. Right. Okay. But that doesn't mean that there's 17 ways to apply shapes Mm -hmm. in the plane. Okay. So, when we have, and those two variables are somewhat independent. Uh Uh-huh. So, you can have the same arrangement of shapes and apply symmetry to it in different ways. So, um, sorry for those who only get the audio, but (laughs) I've got this stack of tessellations in front of me. Well, yeah, and that, maybe
0: we can post some photos
1: yeah. in the
0: show notes that illustrate mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: okay. Yeah, so each of these tessellations in this stack have the same arrangement of shapes. They have the same connections of pleats, mm-hmm. but they have different applications of symmetry. And so this top one has one twist one hexagon twist in a position of six-fold rotational symmetry. And then its neighboring hexagons, and you've got to go through the triangles to get to the neighboring hexagons, are in positions of three-fold rotational symmetry. Then another application, you could have those neighboring hexagons in positions of two-fold rotational symmetry. Okay. You could move the symmetry even further out and have those neighboring hexagons without rotational symmetry and put the threefold position out in the next triangle. Mm -hmm. You could space it even further and move the threefold position to not the nearest neighboring hexagons, but the ones further out. You could also decrease the amount of symmetry and uh, use a kind of hexagonal-ish arrangement of pleats that has inherent three-fold rotational symmetry, and then you drop down into the triangle symmetry type. You could also use spacing to create a linear symmetry mm. where you have distinct lines that have their own spacing. Right. This one looks a little bit like the triaxial. Do you know that
0: pattern? Triaxial. I've just, uh, I teach paper weaving and I just mastered that. And it took me a long time to visualize getting the third strip in.
1: Yeah. So Uh, a lot of these patterns really look like weaves. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. the previous one that I had shown. Oh, yeah. It looks really woven, but then you pay closer attention and you notice that those strips don't carry through. Right, right. Or rather, they almost do, but at a really far distance. But there's still those three directions. And yeah. any of these, you can see three directions at work because I'm on the triangle grid. Right, right.
0: Okay. Wow. This is like over my head, but I love it. And uh, listeners will put some images in the show notes Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: you can uh, take a look at. Um, and yeah, so, uh, okay. So where were we? So you, yeah, you got inspired in that course. And so what happened next?
1: So what happened next forced Well, more or less forced me to switch to tessellations from Mm -hmm. modulars because I went and did a um, international internship in Israel for four and a half months. Mm. And you can't bring back a suitcase full of folded paper. But if you fold tessellations, then they lay flat and you can bring back a folder. Ah, uh uh-huh. So that's where I taught myself to fold tessellations. Um, And at that point in time, there weren't that many video tutorials available. Uh, This is in 2017. And uh, I went through pretty much all the video tutorials I could find in two weeks, and then did uh, photo tutorials for a while. Um, But again, those ran out very quickly and I had to start reverse engineering.
2: Mm.
0: So what were you reverse engineering?
1: So I was looking on Flickr uh, and thankfully the origami community had been posting a lot and particularly with tessellations had been posting a lot on Flickr Uh and I was able to see, okay, they're using this shape and the photos were high enough resolution that I could see the exact references on the grid. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so once I figured out, okay, this is what a closed triangle twist looks like, this is what an open triangle twist looks like from both the front and the back, I can then read off of the folded image. Okay, this is what goes here, this is what goes there, this is how they're connecting together, and this is the number of spaces between them. Right. Okay, and what was your internship? Was it, it related was on, at all? Uh, no, not at all related. <laughs> it was on coral ecology and biology. Mm. So okay. I was running some experiments in a, um, a temperature and pH controlled set of tanks to see how corals respond to changes in environmental parameters. Ah, okay. Fascinating um and what kind of paper were you folding
0: did you bring paper or did you just find paper
1: yeah i think i had some commie and Uh copy paper Mm -hmm. um i didn't buy any paper while i was there i don't think okay um so i just used whatever was on hand really right and, and so basically I knew- in
0: your free time, you fold yeah. all the, t- that's, yeah. And now it's your job, but.
1: <laughs> yeah. To the point where I was reverse engineering about a pattern a day. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And if I knew then what I know now about like origami Israel and all of the different wow. artists who live in Israel. Um, so Paul Jackson, Mary Golan, Elon yeah. Garibi um i would have tried to connect with them and connect with origami israel um but we live and we learn yeah at least i was able to catch elon garibi's exhibition in tel aviv before i left okay yeah yeah Mm.
0: Yeah. I've had, by the way, Mary Golan and Paul Jackson on the podcast listeners. So they are in Tel Aviv as well. Yeah. And
1: they're great interviews.
0: Yeah. And they're really doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So then, then what happened next?
1: So then I came back to the States and I kind of bopped around a little bit. I kept folding tessellations and around February of 2018 I started trying to make my own designs Mm -hmm. and in tessellations there's this really common pattern where you start designing things and you come up with things that other people have already found Mm -hmm. and so you start uh, at that point I wasn't even posting anything um but you start like talking about hey uh or yeah, I'm pretty sure I wasn't posting anything until about a year later. But this um, is a
0: key point. I love the the element of discovery. Like you discovered it yourself. You yeah. get credit for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and, Absolutely. And then you show it and somebody's like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we've been doing that for years or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. this, this uh, yeah, it's so cool.
1: And so- I got the idea from like showing things and people being like, oh yeah, um, blah, 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 and did this decades ago. Uh Um, And um, eventually I got the idea that if I wanted to do something new, I had to do something hard.
2: Mm.
1: Mm -hmm. And then once I started teaching, I figured out that that's not actually true. You can do all kinds of new things just with the basic twists. So Mm -hmm. all of those tessellations that I showed you earlier, uh, with the exception of the one with the threefold hexagon, Mm -hmm. uh, are done with simple twists. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so,
0: okay, so you mentioned teaching. So how did you get to to, to teaching? And you have products and sort Mm -hmm. of what... And yeah, you- so, yeah. Sorry. At
1: the end of my like bopping around and doing things, uh, I landed in Livermore. So Lawrence Livermore National Lab, okay, uh, is well known for their supercomputers, and um, they also have a strong geologic component because uh, they're in charge of um, both monitoring uh, for illegal nuclear tests from other countries and Mm -hmm. modeling um, how our own uh, nuclear systems would work. Mm, Okay. So there's a ton of different things going on. It's um, a contractor to the Department of Energy, and there's just all kinds of things. These are the people that you ask if you want to know, like, what kind of nukes do we need to deflect the asteroid? Um, how, <sighs> what's the best way to do that? They're running all of these simulations, um, and just, they call it the uh, smartest square mile on earth.
0: Yeah. And where is that? Cause I remember I did a bike trip and I biked
1: by, mm-hmm. I saw a sign, California. Yeah, so but... it's about an hour East of San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Eastern limit of the Bay area.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And so At Livermore, I was doing more programming, um, and I also met my then-boyfriend, now-husband, and he's a programmer, and we were talking about, okay, do we stay in Livermore? Do we go somewhere else? Um, And his passion is robotics. Mm. And there's three main places in the U.S. that um, have big robotics hubs. There's the Bay Area. Boston and Pittsburgh, okay? Well, out of those three, Pittsburgh is actually reasonable to live in and buy a house that has some land and you don't need a uh, hour plus commute to do so. Ah, oh, nice. And you don't need a million dollars either, right. And there's also like a bunch of, Natural hazards that these other places have that Pittsburgh does not mm-hmm. um there's no earthquakes, there's no forest fires I mean for the most part there's no hurricanes, and it's closest to my family, so we decided to settle in Pittsburgh and uh we moved in January twenty
2: twenty
1: mm. <laughs> and we had decided that um, I could have a year to establish my origami business because that's what I really wanted to do Mm -hmm. uh, instead of trying to um, trying to really dig into a coding career or a geology career. Uh. And uh, that's how I got started with Gathering Folds, uh, my business. And I started really as an art business instead of a teaching um, business. So I was trying to sell crease patterns, finished products. Um, I was also into smocking, which is the process of making some of these same patterns on fabric by sewing points together on the backside.
0: Right. And you hand sew? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's not a machine process that I know of that can do this kind of smocking.
0: Yeah. Have you seen those French? I don't know if it's paper or fabric, like
1: bolts of pleated. Yeah. Is that paper? It's fabric, but they use a um, stiffener. They use a cardboard slash stiff paper mold. Okay. on either side to sandwich it into place and then they steam it and that's how they get the pleats into the fabric okay and do they stitch it
0: to hold it no no actually. it just okay yeah okay yeah and- this is beautiful we'll put some of your smocking examples in the show mm-hmm. notes too if you'll allow
1: yeah sure and so there were these two sides of the business the smocking and the paper folding right and they were kind of both taking up attention both taking up time they're both time consuming to do Mm -hmm. so the smocking once you have the points that you're going to sew together marked onto the fabric then you can go ahead and make whatever you're going to make with origami tessellations you need to fold a background grid and then you can manipulate that grid into the pattern that you want. Um, of course, this is one way of folding tessellations. The other way is to get all of the specific lines that you need onto the paper, either with a laser or a cricket or scoring um, some other way.
0: So you're and not then, having to. So you don't have extra lines in your pattern once you fold it yeah that that would be the the reason
1: so that would be the benefit but Mm -hmm. the downside is it's a lot harder to fold ah Uh uh-huh so with the grid-based tessellations that I fold you can get rid of the extra tension in the paper at each stage because the grid can carry that pleat out to the edge Uh uh-huh yeah makes sense And so at each stage, I'm folding and pressing things down flat, and then doing something else and pressing it down flat. And at each stage, nothing is unfolding. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're trying to precrease everything and collapse all at once, you end up with a lot of things sort of folding, but not all the way folding. And then most of the time, most people end up with a snowball. Yeah. (laughs) Uh ah it's a lot easier to do step at a time and leave them in
0: place yeah I'm happy to hear that that makes sense and do you um do you use a any kind of tool for those pre making those grids initial grids just the bone folder which is one of your recommendations
1: yeah Exactly. The only tool I use is a bone folder and a flat surface. Okay. Okay. And uh, this bone folder I've had since, I want to say 2018 or so. And it's really a lifesaver. Much, much preferred to crease hard with the bone folder instead of your thumb Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: even as a young person, I can tell you your thumb will get sore and you will wear down your fingernail Mm -hmm. and uh, at least at the volume that I fold.
0: Right. And this is an interesting bone folder. We'll just mention it now. It's a recommendation of Madonna's. Mm -hmm. What's the company called? Vensink? Vensink?
1: I I haven't heard it said out loud.
0: Yeah. Um, And um it's got a nice profile for holding i've never seen this one i do book binding and i've seen all kinds mm-hmm. of bone folders but this is a really
1: yeah so it's unique. more of like a paring knife shape mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and it's got a little handle a little blade portion um the tip isn't super sharp but it's sharp enough that i can go in and poke at stuff if needed Right. Yeah. and I mostly use a small portion uh, of the blade edge near the tip when I do my folding. Okay.
0: And it's just a lock in a crease. Yeah. Yeah. This episode of Paper Talk is sponsored by the Redcliffe Paper Retreat, an annual retreat held at Helen Hebert's studio in the heart of the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in late August. Enjoy a peaceful, creative week in the tiny hamlet of Redcliffe surrounded by mountains, the river, and aspen trees. Experiment with several techniques as you create a variety of paper objects that will intrigue your eyes and illuminate your spirit. All levels of art experience are invited. The 2023 retreat theme is paper panels. Come explore a variety of papers that can be made by hand, cut, folded, stitched, and assembled in a variety of ways to create books, wall hangings, sculpture, lighting, and more. Explore these ideas as you create unique paper objects with a dozen like minded creatives. Find out more at helenhebertstudio.com backslash red dash cliff dash paper dash retreat. Okay, so describe the products. And you were talking about the difference between the smocking and the tessellations, and yeah, I felt so... like you're going somewhere with that. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> So two big differences between the smocking and the tessellations. The tessellations can be seen from either side as a finished product. Mm-hmm. And so I like to frame them in um, clear frames. So I do acrylic on either side mm-hmm. so they can be hung in windows. And you can see the pattern of shadows when the light shines in from behind them. Yeah. Whereas the smocking has a good side and a bad side. Mm-hmm. The other big difference is that the smocking has edges that need to be hidden Mm. or at least edges that will fray
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and aren't going to look the same as the rest of the piece. Whereas the paper is stable enough. It holds in place and uh, I have techniques that I've developed to specifically match the grid that I use to the pattern. That I'm folding on it so I end up with a nice border all right. the way around
0: right I'm not sure what the products I saw a scarf uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember what else but like framing a piece of fabric would be difficult yeah. because it, you'd have to have some structure in there to hold it
1: yeah so I would typically frame the smocked pieces in a hexagonal shadow box okay and I was able to get them to stay in place because I would actually sew them onto a cardstock backing mm-hmm. that I would insert into the frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah. So that that's really my, uh, my secret to mounting uh, smocked things is sew them onto paper. Yeah, makes sense. And then the other thing that you can do with smocking is create, really whatever uh piece you want you can treat it just like another piece of paper or sorry piece of fabric Mm -hmm. and so you can sew it into a quilt you can sew it into a christmas stocking you can do whatever else you want with it and um so the smocking patterns are also available on my website gatheringfolds.com and Mm -hmm. There's so there's smocking patterns, crease patterns, finished products with the smocking, with the sun catchers, with the test, the origami. Um, then there's I have the occasional pillow that I'll put up. I haven't been doing as much smocking the last few years uh, since I started focusing on teaching the mm-hmm. origami tessellations. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while, I'll have a commission or something I want to make for a family member.
0: Right. And um, I just want to comment, comment that, that she showed a Christmas stocking. Like that would be some magazine should have that on mm-hmm. the cover. I mean, it's really
1: striking. <laughs> and everyone should learn how to do it uh-huh. and do it themselves because it takes. Mm, five to eight hours to produce each one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So.
0: Yeah. So that would be so that people sign up for your classes or something, not that they would order one of those. <laughs> right. And I
1: actually do have a blog post with full instructions on oh. how to make a Christmas stocking oh, starting awesome. from one of my patterns. Cool. Cool. Okay. So you,
0: I want to talk about your teaching, but first let's talk about your business savvy because you really you've got a great newsletter where you um you have these great analogies just this morning you were talking about how you cook and relating that to tessellations mm-hmm. I read your newsletter today and um yeah how are you generating customers?
1: Yeah so I'm mostly focused on um building my email list mm-hmm. through two main channels one a short form channel and one long form channel. So I produce my short form content on Instagram,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and on there I go through um, one pattern in depth each week.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: on Tuesdays I'll talk about or I'll post a short video clip um, talking about maybe an aspect of the name, an aspect of the symmetry, something like that, and then Wednesdays. Are about the details, the symmetry, the structure. Uh, Thursdays, I go into how I plan the tessellation, getting into the border. And then Fridays, I talk about okay, what things should you fold first to build the skills necessary to fold this pattern?
0: Okay, and what's your Instagram handle? It's
1: Gathering Folds. So okay. everything I do is Gathering, gathering Folds. folds.
0: Okay. Wonderful.
1: And then the long form content that I produce is on YouTube. I do a weekly live stream, um, about various topics and I tend to do a uh, series that are themed together. So I've got series on basic twists on foundational structures, um, on like how to get started with tessellations on advanced topics. And there's just all kinds of things on uh, going on for people who are just starting all the way up to people who already have a lot of experience with tessellations.
0: Right. And how how do you um how do you deal with both?
1: Yeah, so, we, so like in a
0: live stream is like are some for beginners and some for advanced, or do you integrate?
1: Yeah, these are in different videos. Okay. So Um, Certain topics like um, square plate intersections will be geared towards beginners Mm -hmm. and other topics like I have an upcoming series on flagstone um, design and folding techniques, uh, mostly folding techniques, um, will be geared towards more advanced folders.
0: Okay. Okay, cool. Um, And you have a, is it a weekly newsletter?
1: Yeah. So I email my uh, list subscribers once a week on Tuesday mornings um, before my live stream okay. uh, to let them know like what the topic is to talk about uh, some story, usually mm-hmm. something that happened in the last week, and then tie that into uh, tessellations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love and it. You might notice that I'm being uh, very deliberate with my word choice, where I say my short form content channel, my long form content channel. And that's because I'm using a framework that I learned from somewhere else. And is so, that from
0: one of your recommendations?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Bob Clink um, is a Harvard trained lawyer turned online entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky to catch him in his, um, business coaching phase mm. so he's since returned to just be the online template guy okay. uh, templates, but all of his, um, business training for the badass online marketing, uh, university that he had are still available on YouTube. And so you can still take advantage of all the wisdom that he's gathered together in one place for free.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. So, are you saying you got to work with him in person, or take online classes, or something? Yeah,
1: I was part of his um, his group coaching program last okay. year. Oh, nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll put a link to his YouTube channel in the mm-hmm. uh, show notes. Fantastic. Awesome. So, um, yeah, how did you get into teaching, then?
1: So, it was really. Um, a forced pivot mm-hmm. so I my year and a half of uh, trying the art business side was not producing the results that I wanted and so I started thinking well hey maybe the reason that people aren't buying crease patterns from me is because they can't read them
2: mm-hmm.
1: how about I go try and solve that problem mm-hmm And so I started, um, I started by doing one-on-one tutoring with someone that I already knew. uh, And she helped me to see, okay, what are the common stumbling blocks? And I started thinking about things in terms of what skills are needed to reach this level, Mm -hmm. which completely changed um, how I thought about designing. Up until that point, I was still in the frame, mind frame of, I'm going to make things that are super hard that no one else could have possibly stumbled across before, uh, that you're going to need to both fold the grid and pre-crease to be able to do. (laughs) But once I started teaching, I realized that there's a lot of just open space. Mm -hmm. um in the design uh realm that hasn't been explored before
2: Mm.
1: and since i had reverse engineered those like 200 or so patterns off of Flickr, i felt like i had a pretty good sense of what other people were folding right yeah so building off of um tutoring that one student i then offered a course on the structures of tessellations called tessellations by tiles and um, this is basically taking Robert Lang's tessellation textbook and making it accessible and useful. And oh, yeah. So, I've
0: always wondered about getting that. But now that you just said that, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Sounds complex. Yeah, this,
1: this book is most commonly used to flatten tessellations after they're folded. Ah, okay. It's... Uh, a common Ooh. joke in origami circles that uh, we we get the book, uh-huh. but then it's pretty incomprehensible, and it makes a great paperweight. Right,
2: right, right.
0: And Robert Lang was on the podcast too, and he's mm-hmm. very charming. And
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's the wonderful. But the yeah, math, this stuff the math is hard. Is great. Yeah, and the ideas are solid. Right it's just getting that to a form that you're able to actually use it in making decisions with your hands right right
0: yeah i love the connection between the mind and the hand that mm-hmm. um so i think what you're doing is so great because I, it um it maybe appeals to different people than yeah. people that i teach or i mean i know there's overlap but it's just drawing more in and getting more computer people interested in mm-hmm. using their hands as we get more and more into technology i think it's a nice yeah. balance yeah
1: absolutely uh, and the practice of gridding uh, this is really the thing that splits people into either precrease and collapse like use a laser to score or Mm -hmm. um, twist based tessellations is the process of gridding. It does take time, but it can be a meditative process.
0: Yeah. That's so this is this pre folding Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I'm thinking back to when my son learned how to fold something, you know, origami and he immediately folded like a hundred of them. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's meditative. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But you're saying some people just don't want to spend the time doing that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. 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 Some people think that it's torture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah,
0: interesting. Um, so and you teach, do you teach solely online? Do you teach in person at all?
1: Yeah, just online. It's okay. actually a lot easier to teach online than in person because I can give people my perspective with a top-down mm-hmm. view. Right. And then just the scale that you need of to course, be able to yeah. show a whole room, the right. piece, you end up with gigantic sheets of paper. Um, right. And you can't do the same moves as effectively. Um not to mention that most of the moves that I do are best performed down on a flat surface, not up in the air showing people.
0: Right. And they're doing the same thing you are with the same size mm-hmm. paper. So doing it in a big exactly. sheet, it just doesn't translate. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. So um, yeah. So you started teaching just a couple of years ago then.
1: Yeah, it was the um, summer of 2021. Okay.
0: A year and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so how, how has your teaching evolved? Are you still teaching that first course or
1: had things yeah, sort so, of... So Tessellations by Tiles turned out to be a fairly advanced course for okay. people who want to be designers.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I did expand it from um, the 12 structures that I covered originally to... Um, I believe it's at 20 structures over 24 lessons because like I was showing with the hexagons and triangles, there's a, lots, a lot of different ways to apply knowledge to the same structures. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'll be opening up. Tessell- so last year I ran Tessellations by Tiles as a live course over 24 weeks, basically half the year. And okay. um and I found out that for the particular topics that I was covering, it actually would work better as a recorded course..
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I'll be opening up um, the recordings for purchase um around the same time that this episode airs. Oh, cool. And I'll also be opening another recorded course, the Tessellation Starter Sequence, um, which has the 50 lessons of things that I think you should know before taking tessellations by tiles. Whoa, 50 things. Okay. Yeah. And so that's been a real evolution in my teaching. Yeah. Uh, the first time around, I did a uh, series of five free lessons, uh, which are now Tessellation Foundations, um, which are still available for free. Um, If you go to training.gatheringfolds.com, you'll see all of the different options. And I was teaching the grids, and in the last lesson I was like, okay, here's how you fold each of these various different twists, And these are the different structures that you can put them in. Have fun.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And it turns out that was not enough preparation (laughs) for tessellations by tiles. Got it. Yeah. So then I came back um, after the first round of tessellations by tiles and taught basic twist boot camp. Ten lessons on, okay, how do you practice eight basic twists in... um, I think it's seven or eight different structures and get those uh, really solid before you then jump into, okay, we're going to do things on both sides of the paper and we're going to do these weird symmetries and we're going to um, do all of these different things. And that got people most of the way there. Mm -hmm. But there were still a lot of skills that were missing that were making it a lot harder to follow the tessellations by Tiles lessons than it needed to be.
0: And I'm curious how how you knew that. Was it questions people were asking or sort of people weren't coming or, you know, what were the indicators?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was mostly where people were getting stuck and the questions that they were asking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so to be able to see those higher levels of abstraction, um, for the design, mm-hmm. you need to have a pretty strong understanding of the specifics of the individual pieces that you're plugging into different positions. Right. So that's getting those basic twists under control and being able to, uh, for example, say, okay, I'm looking at a crease pattern and I am able to see there are two spots and these are the things that are plugged into the two spots
0: right and i've t- i've watched a few of your tutorials and took one of your uh a demo you did for the origami usa i think um mm-hmm. and yeah you're very methodical in like using a pencil to show oh this is where mm-hmm. you know you see these two so yeah i think uh, just the little bit I've done, you're very good at uh, breaking that down. But it's so interesting to hear about how, what you've learned through teaching.
1: Yeah. 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 And all of these applications of symmetry that I showed you mm-hmm. would not have come about without teaching tessellations by tiles. Mm. hmm hmm So I became... More conscious of the symmetries in the tessellations, as like specific points distinct from the um, the structure of the tessellation. When I was ma- when I was drawing a lot of crease patterns to have as PDF downloads and tessellations by tiles. Ah, and. So once you're aware of these symmetries, you can say things like, I don't care what structure the tessellation is in, uh, what shapes are next to each other and how they connect. But if I have a pattern with sixfold rotational symmetry, I'm going to need that sixfold bit, anything immediately around it, two of the threefold points, and the three orient so the two orientations of the threefold thing, because you can have a triangle pointing up or a triangle pointing down. Mm-hmm. And then all three orientations of whatever the twofold rotationally symmetric point is. Mm-hmm. And if I have all of those, I can take that chunk and copy paste it without rotation. Right. Do you have a glossary of terms? <laughs> Yeah, I do actually have yeah. a blog post on <laughs> definitions. Okay. Because, yeah. I should probably update it. But, yeah. yeah.
0: That's fascinating. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about your favorite papers to fold.
1: And, yeah. So, um, yeah. My absolute favorite paper is Skytone. So, that's the paper that most of these tessellations in front of me are folded with. Okay. And then... um so, some great things about Skytone is it comes in light colors, which means that it backlights really well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's also very strong, so I can pull on it really hard without it breaking. I can also crease it back and forth many times without it breaking. Ah, uh, yeah. And if I'm at the edge, it doesn't tear easily. Uh huh. Um, and these, uh. So another paper that I was using before I was introduced to Skytone is Taunt. Um, And Taunt is
0: an origami paper.
1: Yeah. 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 It's made in Japan and it's pretty good for tessellations, but it tends to tear quicker, Mm. especially on fold lines. And um, overall, I found Skytone to be much more forgiving. And Skytone is
0: made by Mohawk. And you gave me a link, and I couldn't like figure out how I would order it. Do you know? Do you order huge sheets? That's
1: all I saw. Or yeah, so do you I actually... ordered nineteen by twelve and a half inch sheets okay. that come in packs of twenty five from Mohawk um, directly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so their ordering process is a little bit opaque, um, but I also offer paper packs that I assemble to my students. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Mohawk typically has just one color available in that size and in the thickness that I like at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use the, the thinnest uh, weight, the 60 T. Okay. Um, and there's, so there's four different weights, two text weights, two cover weights on um, the 80 T. I was talking with one of my, Um, other origami designer friends, Ben Parker. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: he said that's a similar um, GSM, grams per square meter, uh, as elephant hide that he typically uses with his laser scored uh, sheets. Okay. So Skytune has all of these fantastic properties, but it is a bit hard to order. Mm -hmm. Um, Although if you're ordering... 200 sheets at a time it doesn't matter as much right Right. the other great thing is you can order super massive sheets so you can get the 36 by 24 or whatever the dimensions are um in inches if you need
0: something big yeah
1: yeah and um there are some projects that i want to do certain extensions of symmetries that are so far out that I need over a hundred grid divisions to think Mm -hmm. about folding the pattern Mm -hmm. Um, or at least for me to do it. I could make some of it fit on a 64 fold grid, but there there's just way more to show Um, that I would fold on one of those supermassive sheets Right, and where it looks like you fold
0: on marble, or is that just like a film surface?
1: yeah, it's a um some kind of composite mm-hmm. countertop material um do you I have would... a, is
0: it big do you have a big folding space? in other words, I'm envisioning this large oh. sheet you're talking about. no, okay,
1: so it's uh. I would need to have a different folding surface to use that big sheet. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was folding with the big sheets before I was actually in a different location. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I need to figure that out again. Now that I've moved into my own house. Yeah. Uh,
0: Are there any other papers you like or those are, that's the main one.
1: Those are the main ones. Mm -hmm. And then the, other paper that you can use to um to have bigger pieces but you trade off against strength Mm. is butcher paper Mm -hmm. and so you can have um really transparent paper yeah um that Holds a crease really well. You just need to be more careful about reversing your crease, that it actually reverses where you're trying to put the crease, instead of a millimeter off. Right. Um, and you need to be more careful with the tearing. I tend to leave more border on these because the edge tears more easily. Right. Um, and I'm still in the process of figuring out the longevity characteristics of this paper. Mm-hmm. Uh whereas the Skytone, I trust to preserve well mm-hmm. because it's largely used for certificates. Uh, the butcher paper, I'm testing to see if it'll yellow in the sun. I'm testing to see, like, would there be differential color change in the folds versus the unfolded bits and just all of these various right. considerations. Right, right.
0: Wow. Um, I think we mentioned all of your recommendations then. Yay. Well, mm-hmm. I'll put those in the show notes and, um, what do you, are you working on anything now? I mean, you mentioned kind of the new courses and things. What yeah, about so, design wise?
1: Mm-hmm. So there's two courses that I didn't mention, which are okay. the Project planning masterclass and advanced twist techniques. Mm. Um, those two are already available for anyone to purchase whenever Mm -hmm. and for shorter things. So each year I like to update these courses with best practices. So the project planning masterclass has all of my ideas on how do you get nice borders on your tessellations? How do you plan out your project? So if you have a crease pattern that is um, on some standard grid size, like, say, 64-fold like mine are, um, that's not actually a folding recommendation. Hmm. And it, it's just the template that I use, and then each tessellation has its own rotation and repetition, and uh, I would get a lot fewer patterns made if I had to incorporate that into the grid. Ah, right. And... Um, And so being able to do those calculations for yourself um, is the project planning side. What I'm trying to learn for the next update of that is how can you have instead of a grid intersection in the center of the paper, how can you have a triangle
2: Mm. with
1: a rotated grid? I've already figured out how to have a triangle with a... um, edge aligned or edge perpendicular grid but that rotation is kind of throwing things off and the test case that i did came out basically perpendicular to what i expected mm. which is interesting and i think it has to do with the um with whether the number of grid divisions that i did after setting it up were even or odd oh gosh So one of these like nitpicky little things you have to do the whole
0: other scenario to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It takes a long time. Wow.
1: So that that's been a puzzle a year in the making. Yeah. Um, And then on the advanced twist technique side, um, when I updated it this past fall, I figured out that you could have, uh, mixed depth, um, twists represented differently in tilings. Mm-hmm. So usually when I'm doing a tiling, I keep each edge of each tile, each shape, the same length, but the mixed depth uh, twists like this threefold hexagon. So this pleat mm-hmm. is uh, twice as thick as this one. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, And the edges are correspondingly um, twice as long. Right. And being able to plan more things with those twists in mind led to a whole series of different tilings to explore. Mm. Wow. Which I have not had time to explore because I'm working on the Tessellation Starter Sequence course. Right. Um, But they're like... There's so many avenues for exploration right now. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to pin myself down and actually even fold everything that I have crease patterns of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah. If, if I wanted to, I could sit down and create 10 new patterns every day In more or less perpetuity but I wouldn't get any of them folded right
0: so it's I'm just curious about your design process are you I mean obviously you have a lot of experience so you you kind of know what's going to happen but just tell me a little bit about so are you you're working on the computer first and then folding yeah, And then that informs kind of, oh, what if I tried this? And mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me bring up a uh, file and show you. Um, I just made uh, this tree structure uh, for my students and uh, for tessellations by tiles. Mm-hmm. So it's a decision tree. And we can ask questions that lead to different results. Okay. So I've got all the questions at the bottom, and then I start at the top with just one start. We're starting from a square tiling, and we're going to have alternating twists. Right. First question is, is that first twist, twist A, going to be closed or open? Uh Uh-huh. And then you come down a level and then you say, okay, are the two twists, twist A and B, going to be on the same side or opposite sides? Oh. Then you come down and you say, okay, is twist B going to be closed or open? Right. And I took out the choices where you can get from an open twist A to a closed twist B, because that would duplicate options that are already on the other branches of the tree. Hmm. And so we get these six basic patterns, and then we say, "Well, what if we change the spacing?
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: can change the spacing evenly. We can change the spacing unevenly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then beyond that, we can get into more questions of: Are we going to take some portion of the pattern that is alternating inside of that portion? And then mirror it to cover the rest of the space right wow
0: okay last question i'm curious um about your students like what they're doing with these tessellations um are they just like keep they want to just fold or are they making products or is there a little bit yeah. of
1: everything and so tessellations make great gifts Mm -hmm. And they also make great decorations around the house. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, it starts as, okay, we're going to do 50, 100 practice pieces before we get to the point where we're willing to show them to other people. Mm -hmm. And then once they're in a uh, display-worthy state, uh, and that's the phrasing that I use for um, the project planning masterclass, how to plan display-worthy tessellations. Okay, yeah. Um, Then they start like posting on Instagram. They start um, using them as decorations in their windows. They start giving them away as gifts. Okay, wonderful.
0: And Madonna, where can we find you online? We've mentioned a few places, but just let's...
1: Sure. The main place is training.gatheringfolds.com. And then you can get from there to gatheringfolds.com, where my blog is hosted. Um, gathering folds on Instagram, gathering folds on YouTube, and uh, one uh, cool thing that we didn't mention yet is okay. I just put up a gallery page mm. on, on my site. So training.gatheringfolds.com/gallery, and you can see all of the tessellations that i have designed folded and photographed oh wonderful that's three levels of uh filter yeah (laughs) Not other people's stuff not things that i haven't got around to folding yet and just the ones that have nice photos wonderful
0: well this has been fascinating thank you so much for coming on paper talk and I look mm-hmm. forward to Good. seeing what you fold next. So do I. Hey, paper friends. Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at helenhebertstudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Redcliffe paper retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can find out more at helenhebertstudio.com. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps others find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Podcast, where you can find out more about these guys, subscribe to this series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. Talk to you soon!